Welcome back to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver. Are there any snacks back here? I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapy associate, your mechanic. Which leaves you, the listener, in the driver's seat. Put those hands at 10 and 2, please. Off we go. Socrates, the unexamined life is not worth living. Last week, we were discussing time and attention. We mentioned that another aspect of this is motivation. Don, what do you mean by motivation? So motivation is the reason why we engage in any behavior. And it's also one of the things that gets in the way of most relationships because we assume we know the motivation of the other person. And we rarely ask enough questions to truly understand what it is. I'm motivated by cookies. What about you? Well, that would be an extrinsic motivation. You would engage in behaviors in order to get cookies. Heck yeah. How can I intrinsically get a cookie? You'd have to make them yourself. Hmm. You'd have to create the desire. So those are the two kinds of of motivation. There are extrinsic motivations. These are things where you will engage in behaviors in order to get some kind of external reward, whether that be tangible like a cookie or intangible like a smile from someone who's important to you. And then intrinsic motivation. These are uh, behaviors that you engage in because they bring you joy or remind you of a time when you experience joy. But eating a cookie brings me joy, but it's not intrinsic. Because it's a cookie. Because it's a tangible thing. Well, and you didn't make it. Right. So if you (laughs) made the cookies because it reminds you of a event, so. Well, what if eating the cookie reminds me of an event? So, so I don't know. uh, So we're getting you're you're making it more complicated than it has to be. Motivations can be both extrinsic and intrinsic. The idea with extrinsic is it is something tangible out there that someone else will give to you. Ah, intrinsic is you give it to yourself. Now, there are are actually some social psychologists that say there is no such thing as intrinsic motivation. All of it is extrinsic motivation. I just think they're cynics. Oh, maybe that's me. Maybe I'm a social psychologist that only believes in extrinsic motivation. But maybe I just only have extrinsic motivation. Well, there's also a level of you engage in these behaviors and you get responses from others. Right. And that inherently is extrinsic motivation one way or another because there is that response. Um, I bake cookies because I'm reminded of childhood excitement around baking cookies. But I also get the response that people love the cookies and they get to eat cookies. And now I really want a cookie. So a thing can be both and. And I would imagine that our listeners can also recall for themselves. Things that they did just for them. No one was around. No one rewarded them. They did it because it made them feel good. Okay, that makes sense. So those are the two kinds of motivation. And this is an 
aspect, I'm trying to tie it back to time and attention. It's an aspect of time and attention, or it is sort of a parallel, like also an important thing. It's also an important thing. So the, the reason we went here next is because one of the biggest trouble spots, one of the biggest potholes in the road of our uh, relationships is making these assumptions about why someone did whatever it is that they did. Gotcha. So I come down the stairs and the coffee cup is sitting on the counter instead of in the dishwasher. All I actually know is the coffee cup is sitting on top of the counter above the dishwasher, but not in it. That's all I actually know. But I'll make all kinds of assumptions about why my wife left the coffee cup on top of the counter. All of that's my creation. Right. And this could apply just as well. I was thinking of like work examples or something, you know, a a boss assuming something about an employee, an employee assuming something about a boss. Why do we do the things we do? And the answer is motivation, which has many, many, many parts. So we may spend more than one episode talking about all of the elements here. Yes. Because there's a lot to dig into. Mm -hmm. So we've got intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. I think that's pretty self-explanatory, although it's fun to play around with cookies and whether they're intrinsic or extrinsic. Beyond that, what, what, what else makes motivation so important? So it's understanding why people do what they do. I think we all kind of know why that is important, but l- let's talk some more about how can we be mindful about this? How can we understand motivation? So I think it's really important to start with yourself, right? And look at the behaviors you engage in and identifying what motivates you to do these things. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt in almost any situation, more often than not. If you're driving down the highway and you cut someone off, it's because you're running late. But if you're driving down the highway and someone else cuts you off, they're a total jerk. So we tend to believe more innocently about ourselves because we already know the situation we're living in. We don't know the situation that someone else is living in, so we put a judgment on them. And that's where the assumptions come in. We don't have to make assumptions about our own experience because we've experienced it. Correct. So then if you try to put this in the dynamic of a relationship, as Papa Don did earlier with a coffee cup on the counter, you end up with this tension if you don't resolve it. You have to talk to your partner. You have to talk to your boss about the assumptions that are being made and the motivations behind them. So it is possible that the coffee cup is there because mama was running late and she ran out the door and the coffee cup just landed there and that was it. There was nothing else. It was not a harmful intent. There was no anger or anything. But walking down the stairs and seeing this coffee cup literally like four inches from being in the dishwasher is just incredibly aggravating. And so Papa Don's first response is, "Ah, I'm so angry at this. Very true. I've heard this story a lot. Well, it's very true. And, And part of that is because when I walk down the stairs and I see the coffee cup, I attribute meaning to, to what has happened. I make a guess about it. And often because human beings tend to be pretty negative, those guesses are in the negative range. But I am attributing meaning to that activity or or that behavior. Until I check it out, it is completely a story in my head. Now, the other part is the other person had meaning too for whatever their behavior was. Their meaning is just as rational to them as my meaning is to me, meaning that both (laughs) interpretations are relatively irrational. 
because they're coming through the, the lens of ourselves. And they don't create a space for understanding between two people. And that's where reality is. All right, backseat driver, you following? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about it. So I, I guess the, the coffee mug example is good. It's a good tangible example of this. I understand applying meaning to it in different ways. And what you just said about the reality is somewhere in the middle. If, but are, are we saying that there's a motivation for her leaving the mug there? Is that the idea? Yes. Even if it is, even if it's sort of a passive motivation, like she's late and didn't think about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, and the motivation could also be, I'm running late. I can get this in the afternoon. That's not a problem. Sure. Or, or even I'm running late. I set this down and I completely forgot about it. And, and this is sort of, it's good because it's kind of an innocuous example, but over time, this is a frustration, right? Because Don, you're frustrated by the mug being out. Janice is not necessarily thinking about it. To her, it's not bothering anybody. And so it creates a conflict. So it only creates a conflict because they did not talk about it. Yeah. And that's, I'm getting, I'm getting there, but I guess... I don't know. So, so I'm not actually frustrated by the mug. This is, this is another part. It gets a little existential here. I'm frustrated by the meaning I attribute to the mug, that I am expected to clean up after my partner. Now, my partner didn't ask for that, didn't tell me that, doesn't have that expectation, as far as I know. All of that is a creation in my own mind that creates the problem. Ooh, I've blown his mind. No, I mean, I just, uh, I don't know. We're our own worst enemies in that regard. That is true. These attributions of meaning are one of the things that create the greatest number of problems between couples. And if you just slow down and you ask questions about it to find out what was the motivation, what was happening for you, what's going on in your world, then solutions can be possible if I care about your point of view. And that's the curiosity we've talked about in the past, right? Mm -hmm. Is sitting down and saying, hey, I've noticed you've been doing this thing. What, what's happening for you? Why, why is this something you engage in? But you have to do that from a truly, you have to appreciate the other person's motivation first and that there is one. Mm -hmm. And when you're coming from a place of, I think you're doing this because of a negative reason, because you expect me to clean up after you, you can't ask that question because you're going to ask it in a passive aggressive bad way. So how do you get from my partner has done this thing or this person I'm in a relationship with, my, my coworker has done this thing that's pissing me off and I've attributed all this negativity to it and I'm going to confront them about it and ask them, but that's not good. That's not the solution either. That's going to cause the same fight that you're having in your head already. How do you get to that place of appreciating the other person's motivation besides listening to this podcast? So the tool you need at that point is to practice fondness and admiration. What, what am I fond about this other person? What do I like about them? What do I admire about them? So if it's a coworker, you know, how have we worked together really well in the past? What ways have they demonstrated great teamwork? Um, what do I like about how we work together? If you have that in your head, now you, you're creating a more positive emotional state instead of a negative one. And that frees you to say, hey, Ben, I noticed that you left the uh, recording program up in such a different way that makes it more difficult for me to interact. Can you help me understand what's going on? 
and how this works for you. There it is, folks. <laughs> Can you phrase. help me understand? This is the phrase that we were raised on. Now, listen, I'm going to hop in as the backseat driver here for a moment and tell you, do not, do not ask people, can you help me understand? If those people are me, they will just become mad. Same. <laughs> it's such an obvious ploy. It's an obvious ploy. Nobody is fooled by this. No, I cannot help you understand. We're the only two that are not fooled by this, for the record. I use it in my therapy office all the time, and it's great because it does. All right. Well, then, gentle, in that gentle case, listener, psychologists everywhere, listener, I'm sorry for ruining I, this secret trick. I have, to, I have to tell you that although they protest that it did not work, it has worked every time for over three decades for both of them. They always help me understand what's going on with them. They are always willing to tell me the story. For the record, the only reason why it worked was because you did approach it with curiosity and the willingness to sit with us in our confusion. I remember many times as a kid saying, I don't know why I'm crying. I'm just crying. But you were willing to sit there with the I don't know. So if you're going to use the help me understand... Be prepared to sit with this person who may not be able to help you understand. If anything, joking aside, I would say that the phrase, can you help me understand, puts you as the asker in a better mindset to listen to the person and has less to do with actually asking them about their behavior or even learning about their behavior and more about putting you in the mindset to learn about their behavior because it is an inherently curious question without any judgment to it, as opposed to why did you leave that mug there? Even if you ask that in a neutral way, there's, there's, a, there's a judgment to that. Yes. You can't, you truly, and that's what I was saying earlier. You can't ask, why did you do this thing in a way that is truly neutral? Because you're already in your head making some assessment. You're telling some story like you were talking about earlier, Don. Yes. So joking aside, can you help me understand is a good way to put yourself in a mindset of neutrality and this person has a reason for doing what they did, even if that reason is I wasn't thinking about it and that's fine, but I still hate it. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. Positive I statements are another really good tool to use in this. So that is I feel about a situation and I need, insert your need. So with the cup example, it would be, I feel really upset that you're leaving your cup on the counter just above the dishwasher. I would really appreciate, I need you to either put it in the sink or put it in the dishwasher. And that's an absolutely great way of doing it. When I walk away from that, though, I still don't understand how the cup got to the top of the thing. I'm sorry. I meant that in... Conjunction. In conjunction with... The can you help me understand, right? So yeah. this is moving into the resolution of yes. finding out the motivation, finding out what's happening, how we're interacting with each other, and then how can we create this into a situation where living together or working together is a manageable experience. So the other thing that I really like about the question, help me understand, and then whatever it is, is that it invites personal responsibility. It invites a space where the other person can explore hmm, why did I choose to do that? How, how is that working for me? Help me understand why I did that. <laughs> well, because as Kim was saying before, sometimes you don't know. You did a thing because it felt natural or it felt like it would work, and it's getting you an outcome you don't want. So you're looking at, well, why am I doing it that particular way? 
So I want to talk about free will real quick right after that. Okay. I, I had another thought. It's interesting to me that the conversation about motivation has turned into a lot of like conflict resolution stuff. So is that intrinsic to understanding other people's motivation? Is the goal or the purpose to understanding somebody else's motivation to resolve or avoid conflicts? It's to reduce conflict because sure. most of the conflict comes from making an assumption about the motivation of the other person. Is that, would you say that's where like most all conflict comes from? Is it that broad? I mean, it, I was just surprised that we ended up in a place where we're talking about sort of conflicts and how to resolve them peacefully, which is almost, I mean, that's many other subjects even, like we could talk about that forever, but we were talking about motivation and it, it, it seemed strange that we ended up there. So I don't know what percentage, I don't have research studies on this, but it's more than half of the problems that come into my office. People have made assumptions about the behavior of the other person and they have attributed meaning. You keep your desk so messy and that just means you have no respect for any of our things. Da -da -da -da. Keep my desk messy, but I know where everything is. <laughs> That's the other person's point of view. Right. So a lot of this has to do with respecting the free will of the person with whom you have the relationship. And that can be a coworker, it can be a friend, it can be your spouse, it can be your child. Respecting that you, know, you two had free will even when you were little kids is a hard thing for parents to get their head around. But unless you agreed with me that these were rules you wanted to follow, I had to chase you. I would have had to chase you all the time to comply with whatever I wanted you to do. Helping you decide that, oh, this is a way I want to live because it makes sense to me and it gets me the outcomes I want made it a whole lot easier because you chose intrinsically to do the right things. I was really bad at choosing. And that's the tie into motivation. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Is motivation the only, is that like the core of behavior? I mean, it, it feels like it's such a big thing now. Like, oh, you did this stuff because you were motivated to do it. And that's that. Like whether it was intrinsic or extrinsic or, I mean, as a parent, aren't you kind of, I know you hate this word, but like manipulating the child into being motivated to follow the rules that you've set? Like, yes, they need to choose to do that. Otherwise, you're just going to be telling them do this and they'll be like, no, because they have free will, whether you like it or not. <laughs> That's right. But especially like a small child, you're essentially coercing them into deciding that this is the thing that's best for them. Um, you use the word coercion and manipulation. Why not use the term learning? So the child wants a particular outcome. Uh, the child wants to play as much as they can possibly play. And they have duties around the house as part of the community. And they have duties to themselves around their education and perhaps other things like music or sports or, or that kind of thing. If I'm teaching you how to organize your time so that you maximize your playtime, am I coercing you or manipulating you or am I teaching? No, I think that makes sense. Teaching makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it's not... So when I think of coercion and manipulation, that's me trying to get you to do something that is harmful to you and beneficial to me. That's a good definition. I guess I was thinking of it more like me trying to get you to do something. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not nefarious enough. And, you know, free will is a powerful thing. And if we respect the free will of someone else, particularly someone that we really love in our lives, and we want to understand how they're approaching the world and how they're viewing it, we can become very influential in their life. And in turn, they can be very influential in our lives. 
But if I deny your free will and I'm just going to tell you this is the right answer, you better do it the way I tell you, then what I have there is coercion. And that won't work. Not for the long run. It works in the short run. So another element, and maybe we don't get to talk about this in this particular session, but another element of motivation is attitude. All of us develop attitudes as we are growing up. Over our history, our experiences and learning create attitudes that are shortcuts for us to be ready to respond to different situations in the world. I had a really strong attitude as a kid. You had a strong attitude? I you said got- as a kid. I'm like a almost adult now. And you still have a lot of strong attitudes. I'm All staying right. out of this one. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> All right. So this is one of the oldest concepts in social psychology, the idea of attitude. And it's, a, um, it's created by the interaction of three different elements, behavior, affect or your emotions, and cognitions, your thoughts. Now, what we can see from one another is our behavior, right? So I can see what you do. What I can't know is what your feelings or thoughts are about the behavior that you engaged in. Is the behavior motivation here? Or is this where does motivation tie into what the things you just listed? So draw me my map. I'm drawing you a map. An attitude is a predisposition or a state of mind regarding values that you hold and experiences that you've had. Okay. So it's sort of a form of motivation because I would be, I would be motivated by those values to do certain things. Yes. Unless I'm just confounding things now. You're not confounding things. So values... Values are a different thing than motivation, than attitudes. But the lines between them are very gray because human beings are much more homogenous than they are dichotomous. He busted out the science terms. Y'all better have dictionaries handy. (laughs) So homogenous means blended together. Dichotomous means separate. Thank you, doctor. (laughs) All right. Well, if nothing else, then you'll expand your vocabulary listening to the podcast, or at least you two will. So here's the thing with an attitude. As we go through as we go through living, we have experiences that predispose us to respond in particular ways. This is really helpful in in most situations because we don't have a lot of time to sort through everything in front of us and make a new decision. Think about when you're driving. When you were first driving, you had to pay attention to everything all the time and you went really slow because it was really hard to manage all of this information coming in and figuring out how much pressure to put on the gas pedal and all the rest of that kind of thing. We move a lot of those decisions into these attitudes, right? which predisposes us to know when and how to turn right or turn left or when to check for traffic or how to do whatever we're doing. If we didn't have that process, we would be overwhelmed just trying to walk up and down the stairs. Some of us are still overwhelmed walking up and down the stairs. Or just on a flat surface. That too. So these attitudes are important, uh, and the attitudes change over time. Some attitudes, attitudes are uh, at their most negative, the elements that create prejudice. So we, we see someone in a particular garb, And we have all kinds of attitudes about them just based on how they're dressed. That then influence our belief of their motivations as well. And the likelihood of what our next behavior is, Mm -hmm. right? That's its worst interpretation. 
Attitudes can also be on the positive side. We see someone who brings us joy. They are dressed or look like something that we like and we're attracted to and we will connect to them more easily. Still kind of prejudice, <laughs> but it's on the positive side. It doesn't have to be on the negative side. And attitudes are, just, are not just related to prejudice. That's just an extreme version, so it's easy to explain. But the key thing is that there are three elements to it, behavior, affect, and cognition. All three of them interplay to create this attitude. What we can see from someone else is their behavior. The affect and the cognitions, what they're thinking and feeling, we guess at. It's the guessing where we make the assumptions. It's the assumptions where we create the problem. Wow. We covered a lot of terms in this. So listeners, I bet you have questions. Please send them in. I have questions, but I think we need to wrap up this episode. So... Also check our show notes for the list of terms and some general definitions so that you can... I'm going to start drawing a little map of all these terms and it's going to look Funky. bad. <laughs> we'll post his drawing. I don't even know if I can summarize all of this. So, okay, we talked about motivation. What drives you? What drives other people? The assumptions we make about other people's motivations, which ties a lot into this last bit that we were talking about attitudes, which are attitudes. Sorry to ask one more question. Are attitudes, I mean, it's kind of a reaction to a thing, right? Almost a reflex. Yes. Like you, you were kind of comparing it to, to physical reflexes or like, like yes. driving things become reflex over time. An attitude is sort of a cognitive equivalent of that, I guess. I mean, reflexes are cognitive. That doesn't really make sense, but like a, a psychological equivalent of that, sure. that you have a set of mental expectations and assumptions based on things that you experience. Yes. So kind of like a reflex. We talked about free will. We talked about attributing meaning. We talked about influencing others and being willing to be influenced, which is the key part of influencing others. We talked about some conflict and some conflict resolution um, and how to really be open and curious and listen to another person's motivation and the true meaning for why they were doing what they were doing. So we uh, really covered some mileage on this particular leg of our trip. And um, we'll be back next week with even more stuff. We're going to stay with motivation for a little bit because there are some things we didn't cover. Turns out Dr. Don has a lot of thoughts about motivation. I would say he's motivated. Thank you for listening to The Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azevedofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services, from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email Ben at bearcaveaudio.com. 
Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. And may the sun shine warm upon your face. Thank you.